Welcome to the Dispatches, reports from the front lines of our war on the coronavirus. My name is Paul Rykoff. You may know me from Angry Americans, where we always bring information, integrity, inspiration, and impact. We're going to bring the same four eyes to these things that we're going to call the dispatches. America is at war. The world is at war. We're all facing a unified threat. It is one team, one fight against the virus. Our objective is clear. Kill the virus, win the war. It's going to be a long war. We're going to take casualties, but we will survive, we will thrive, and there will be a day in the future when our kids can get together again, when our families can get together again, when we can celebrate together again. We will have our VC day, our victory over coronavirus. But until then, we're deep in the fight. I'm going to bring you these dispatches, quick hits, under 20 minutes, that help you and your family survive and even thrive in the middle of this war. War can be tough. But we're all in it together, and I hope the dispatches will help you get through it. And I'll meet you on the other side of this war when we do celebrate our VC Day. Until then, here's a dispatch with Chris Fussell, Navy SEAL Commander. We recorded this on Monday, April 6th, in about the fourth week of our war against the coronavirus. Here it is, Chris Fussell. All right, we got Chris Fussell back with us, folks, which is a real honor and a pleasure. Uh, he joined us a couple episodes ago for one of our best conversations on Angry Americans. If you don't know him, he's a former Navy SEAL president of the McChrystal Group. Uh, he's also the co-author of Team of Teams, uh, New Rules for Engagement in a Complex World. Uh, he really broke it down for us about how to operate in chaos. And when we talked, Chris, it was about a month ago. It was when coronavirus was just starting to hit. You were the last in-person interview I did. You look healthier than ever. But I want you to just kind of rip through what's going on in the world from a strategic perspective, but then also from a tactical perspective. So the first question I've got for you is, uh, this is, in my view, a war now. It is a global war, and the battlefronts have now gone from Seattle to New York nationwide. You are a battlefield commander. You, You led forces that were operating around the world. Can you break down how you see the battlefield right now? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. Yeah, that was my last trip out of D.C. By the way, as well, um, we caught it right on the edge there. The uh, I think one of the immediate things that jumps out right now is that the similarities between the war that you and I were involved with against Al Qaeda and what's happening now it's the same dynamics, right? We learned how to fight a network threat in Al Qaeda. We didn't know it was that, and so we moved too slowly out of the gates, both in special operations, in general purpose forces, etc. And it took us, I mean, you were there, it took us almost two years to realize this is not the same type of fight that we've encountered in the past. And it can move globally at a network speed. It's interconnected, it communicates online, et cetera, et cetera. And so we had to radically uh, transform the way that we did business. And I'm worried right now that we're not seeing it from that level, right? We're not, we don't have a global conversation, definitely a national conversation going on that, say, that says, this is a network spread. We need to create a strategic view at the top and distribute as many authorities down to the ground to those frontline fighters and hospital systems and mayors, first responders, et cetera, so that they can connect, they can identify a common view of this problem. And then we up here can help facilitate the exchange of resources and information. Um, if you try to centrally control this, which is exactly what we did out of the gates trying to fight Al Qaeda, you will lose, that you just cannot humanly move quick enough in a traditional model against a network network threat. 
but they're not even centrally controlled, right? There's no control. It's not distributed control. It's not centralized control. There doesn't seem to be a clear goal from the president. There doesn't seem to be a strategic plan or a national plan for how to fight this. I want to get to that in a second, but can you also analyze the threat? You're a student of history. Um, you're, you're a military historian. Can you give us a sense of how big of a threat this is to America, to our national security, and, and in whatever way you can, frame it up? Like, I, I think this could be the world war of our time um, in terms of casualties, in terms of impact on the economy. But how do you see it, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you know, like yourself, the, the offline conversations that I've been having with folks yeah, from economists to political leaders, et cetera, um, it's, it, it's a harrowing reality. I mean, we, we could be looking at a generational change economically. The, the knock-on effects of this, you know, we like to talk second, third order effects from our military backgrounds. This has 17th order effects, right? We just mm-hmm. we have no way to forecast the long-term implications of this from international trade to geopolitics, our relationship with big players like China, for example, that even when they're tenuous, there's a stability there based on economic interest, uh, exchange of students, you know, all the things that go into making diplomatic models work. Many of those are going to fall apart. Um, as a result of this for in the near term, but then potentially in the long term. Um, so I think this is going to be uh, the most p- critical pivot point in, in both of our lives. And I say that comparing it to, to 2001, which put folks like us suddenly into onto the battlefield, right? I, this is going to have much broader implications for multiple generations. Um, and my hope is we learn quickly, we learn from it quickly, and, and we adjust the way that we run organizations, the way that countries interact with each other, et cetera. But there is not, there is no going back from this, in, in my opinion. Mm. So you're, since we talked on Angry Americans a couple of weeks ago, thankfully your voice has been out in front. You've been doing media. You wrote an op-ed in the New York Times with uh, General McChrystal. Um, you've been teaching, you've been advising, and you wrote a, a, a piece in the Atlantic as well. And, um, you know, you basically said to me, get to, can you get this to Cuomo? Can you get this to leaders? And I've been trying to get it to everyone I can. Uh, you, I hope, will be advising governors and mayors and the president even. Um, what would be your advice right now to Governor Cuomo or to any other governor who is now the lead element in, in fighting this decentralized threat? Well, if it, I would advise other governors, and I know they're doing this, um, look at Cuomo, look at the leadership that Newsom's demonstrating in California, has some really, and emulate what, what of that you can, right? Cuomo has done a brilliant job of getting in front of people and speaking from a fact-based position. Don't just get up there and chat. Get up there and say what you know, say what you believe you're going to need, and here's how we're, we're intending to get there. He's done a, a great job there. A layer underneath is where I think this fight is going to be fought. And I say that based on our own experience. One of the positions we've been trying to present is in a network threat, you have to find those first and second layer leaders up from the ground, like we did with frontline junior officers, and then the the one step up field grade, mid-grade officers that oversaw multiple of those components. We, we Our leadership allowed those leaders to connect in this distributed network fashion to exchange information in real time. So the argument we're making is those new frontline leaders, those are hospitals and those are mayors. We need to connect them inside of what we called in the, in the military, as you remember, fusion cells, fusion of information and operations, raw intelligence, connect that into a distributed network, in this case, around the country or around the world, so that with a very light footprint, you can exchange 
real, raw, relevant data from New York to LA to a small town in the middle of Georgia. That and it's those smaller municipalities that are going to get hung out to dry on this thing as it expands because they they don't have the Cuomo stage, understandably. So, but the, but on a relative scale, the problem is going to be just as bad in the middle of South Carolina as it is in Los Angeles or New York. So we have to create that mayor level and frontline leader network to be able to connect and exchange information. And it seems like that's happening. Like I see the doctors exchanging information. We had Dr. Paul Hazer on the show who talked about how the information sharing is happening in New York. And now I see doctors from New York, you know, as the frontline docs who got information from Seattle, now passing it down in New Orleans, passing it to Detroit. But taking a, a bigger step back, if you look at Cuomo, you do see the clarity, you see the brevity. You know, I've, I've commented that uh, it requires discipline also to do one press conference well, so you don't have to do a million pieces of media and you can get to the work of fighting the virus. But in contrast, we've got the president where he's doing long, rambling press conferences that don't seem to have clear objectives, uh, aren't really a unified force. Can you evaluate uh, the president's performance and the secretary of defense, you know, and maybe even address the opportunity here? We're finally starting to see what the Defense Department can do if brought online. But in my view, they were brought online late and they fumbled. Now they have some internal squabbling going on. But first, you know, evaluate the commander in chief in whatever way you can or advise on how you would advise him to handle this situation, especially around the communications part. And then the secretary of defense in the Pentagon. Yeah, the um, sort of bundle those both up into what I have seen from great leaders historically, some that I've I've observed like a Cuomo or some that I've been uh, fortunate to work for, like Stan McChrystal Um, in this complex of a fight. You have to play against your natural intuition. And I've seen I've seen leaders do that throughout history, which is I'm normally in charge of the state or this huge military unit or the Department of Defense, et cetera. When you're facing something like this, you have to you have the ability to to take and hold the stage for as long as you want. People will give you that reverence and just listen to you. Right. Um, That doesn't mean it's always the best thing to do. Right. Mm. You can use that platform to create a an environment where people will come to join into a conversation. And then what I saw McChrystal doing for, for us, we were globally distributed operating for 24 seven for years on end. He would come together with us for, for an hour, an hour and a half a day and not, he would talk for maybe seven minutes of that because he was there as a conduit. He was connecting people that were close to the ground to be able to exchange information. And then he would react and keep it on the rails and then ensure that injected into that discussion was the right strategic level data. Where are we seeing Al Qaeda grow as a threat and how do we how do we assess that to be accurate? Then we down a layer lower or beyond that could maneuver ourselves to address that that new uh, that new opportunity or threat. The same thing should be happening here. Don't try to pull up and into the top of the hierarchy. Use that platform to push as much as you can possibly down into the ranks. That's where you get ahead of a network uh, threat. And, you know, it's good to see DOD entering the conversation. You and I both know the power that that brings to bear in personnel, resources, capability, ability to send information around the the military is is unrivaled around the world and throughout history. We just need to start leveraging it for all of its uh, its capacity, which we should have been doing, in my opinion, for quite a while now. Yeah. So we're, in my view, way behind the curve, right? Like months behind the curve. 
Um, and, and it feels to, to draw a parallel, you know, it's it's like not having a plan for what would happen in Iraq after the invasion. And they're making it up as they go along. But there's much less unity and cohesion, even of messaging within the White House and, and, and across the states. But I also want to ask you, Chris, to, to break it down on a personal level. Everybody listening to this, watching this right now is facing a degree of chaos. Uh, they've got pulls on their time. Their kids may be walking into the middle of meetings. They may have stress with their families. You're a guy who's thrived in stress. You're Captain Chaos, right? You know how to handle it. If I was going to call the president, President Mayhem, you're Captain Chaos in a good way. You know how to manage and deal with chaos. What's your counsel for a leader right now in a family or in a community to deal with what can seem like a never ending chaotic environment? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a critical point. It's a conversation we've had with a lot of leaders um, around industry, especially for the last two, three weeks. Um Trying to make the point, don't underestimate if you've gotten to this level, you you have some ability to compartmentalize stress and, and manage your, your, your sort of balance in your life. That has been disrupted multiple orders past what you probably appreciate right now. And so don't think that just downloading your, your Outlook calendar into Skype or Zoom is going to solve for those issues, right? There's so many new variables um, that you're going to have to figure out and deal with. One of the ways to, to, Think about this is we, we like to talk about with executives, what's your personal cocktail? What's the what's the thing you mix together on a normal basis that keeps that keeps you stable and sane? Uh, I, I, most very accomplished senior leaders that I've been around have some level of sort of mania that they keep in check. Right. And so mm. you do that through exercise. You do that through getting to the office and being in the boardroom. You do it through a lot of different variables. Then ask yourself, which one of those are no longer available to me? And it'll be a significant number. You have to replace those. If you're if you need to get to the gym once a day to burn stress and you can't do that anymore, what are you replacing that with? Uh, and there's a whole host of things, and it it rolls into your family as well. Like we're really encouraging leaders, sit down, start redesigning what your life's going to look like with your family because you have you have a significant other, you have kids, etc., and all these lives are now merging together for an unknowable amount of time into the future in a way that they had never have had to in the past for 99% of us. Mm. So, Chris, um, last question here. You've been a combat commander. Right now, in my view, the Navy is being ripped apart by bad leadership. Uh, there was a, a situation on the USS Roosevelt, an aircraft carrier, where the commander stepped forward, Captain Rozier, and and uh, expressed his concerns about uh, what his troops were facing with COVID-19. You know, that is, is maybe a questionable decision. But now what's happened in the last 24 hours is, under, is, is Acting Secretary Modley has gone down to the ship and said that he was either uh, uh, stupid or naive uh, on the intercom to the entire ship. Uh, and the guys on the, told him not to talk to the press and the guys taped the conversation and sent it to the press. So can you talk about um, the role of leaders like that, the political leadership right now? And just what, you know, as much as you're comfortable, that situation, but also what we need to see from leaders at this time of, of such peril. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I, I know as much about the facts of the case as any other uh, civilian. Uh, what it did look like was uh, understandably a frustrating a series of events that led to that, wanting to move things faster from Captain Kirchner's perspective, not getting there, the release and the leak into the media led to his firing. Um, that that will play itself out as to whether that was handled correctly. It's the follow-up to these things. It's always, um, in, in this case in particular, just leading these sort of series of, of tragedies, right? The, the And especially in today's fast-moving, hypersensitive environment, um, you, you, you have to look for ways to get ahead and mitigate and have everyone is locked in this thing right now trying to figure it out. And so 
what might have been an, a, an appropriate reaction five months ago can now be seen as a hyper overreaction or what's the interpretation going to be on this side uh, amongst today's population when we talk about it. Um, and then, you know, going and talking to the, to the, to the sailors like that um, again, in normal times, who would pay attention? No one, no one understands what an aircraft carrier is in normal times. You know, that's going to get national attention. You know, it's going to get released out. So we, we have to, you have to think through these things at an entirely different sort of, even, even back to the network discussion, a different lens, because it's going to go from point A to B to F to well into the, the zeitgeist out there faster than you can keep up with. So anytime you're communicating at that level around, around an unforeseen uh, event like this, think through what's, what's the fallout going to be. These are not normal times and mm. it's not happening there yet. And it worries me that it's not going to happen if there's other things along these lines in the national conversation. I'm going to take one, one alibi. Um, what are you telling your kids right now? What are you telling your, your family? They, they look to you as a leader, but for other folks that have a, a smaller sphere of influence, they're not the secretary of the Navy. They're not running a battleship. What's your message to your kids right now? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I, we had a, we had a uh, discussion we did with some, some uh, leaders from around the world, Stan and Crystal and I did last week. And one of the questions that came up was, hey, I'm, a, I'm an academic. You know, I've, got, I've got students in the high school realm that are, that are what should I be telling them? My kids are even younger than that, you know, middle school and elementary school, close to your, your kid's age. Um, and my response was, have you ever met a, uh, an old Brit from the, the London bombings? Or hmm. did you have a grandparent that was a child of the Great Depression? You know who's going to be fine in all this? Our kids. Hmm. They're hmm. going to be better for it. They're, they're, they're the grittiest humans on the planet, right? They will hmm. figure out and adapt much faster than we will. And I actually know we will come out of this stronger as a society. That might take 10 or 15 years. It's going to be the blink, a blink of an eye to my nine-year-old and 11-year-old. They're going to be better leaders and better adults because of this. And they, they, they are the ones that, that will come out the strongest. And you can already see it. What I'm telling them is this is, this is your first before and after moment. And mm. that, you, know, you have a conversation about what does that mean, dad? Well, it means you're going to remember your life before this and after it. And for the rest of your life, you're going to talk about the times before this occurred and afterwards. I've had three of those now in my life. I've had 9-11. We had the fallout in 2008 economically, and now we've had this. This is your first one, and you'll be better for it. Mm. Awesome advice, man. Thank you so much for joining us on what is the inaugural uh, installment of the Dispatches. I hope you'll join us again soon, man. Thanks for all you're doing for the community uh, and for the country. Uh, we appreciate your voice so much and all your leadership, man. Stay frosty. Thanks, uh, Paul. I appreciate you leaning in to figure out how we're going to keep these conversations going in these times. So thanks for all you do. Right on. Thank you, my friend. My thanks to Chris Fussell for joining us. Thank you to you for joining us. If you like the dispatches, subscribe now and share them with all your friends. And we'll keep bringing them to you as often as possible. I'll share my insights. I'll share special guests. And we'll give you quick hits of information that you can use. Tune in every week for an Angry Americans episode that'll be much longer form and continue to bring you the information, integrity, inspiration, and impact you've come to love from Angry Americans. The Dispatches is a production of Righteous Media. Thank you to the entire team from Righteous Media for helping power this episode. My thanks to Chris Fussell and my thanks to you. Wherever you are, stay vigilant and stay frosty.